I'm in church. All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians 6. There is no CIA tonight. Uh, the room's already set up for the uh, brunch. Tonight, we're going to take a look at the helmet of salvation. Uh, we've been talking about the armor of God, and, and uh, the scripture tells us to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might, and to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. And then it talks about having done all to stand, we are to stand. Um, do you remember what the first part of the armor was? Having your loins girt about with truth. How many of you know what the second part of the armor is? Having on the breastplate of what? Okay, what about the third? And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then what? Taking the shield of faith above all. Now, what do you quench with the shield of faith? The fiery darts, the flaming missiles of the wicked one. Anybody quenched any fiery darts recently? All right. So you've had opportunity to practice uh, the Word of God. Amen? And that's awesome because the Word of God is designed to be done. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so if we'll hear the word and do the word, then we will not be deceived by the devil or we will not be deceived by ourselves. See, sometimes the enemy doesn't even need to fool with us because we've been self-deluded by just taking in and not practicing or acting on what we've heard. And that's why he says, take heed what you hear. And uh, what that means is to place a great value on what you've been hearing through the word of God. Amen. And the way that you, you show honor to the Word of God is you obey the Word of God. You do the Word of God. And as you do the Word of God, the Bible says you will be blessed. You will be empowered to prosper in your deed or in your doing. Now tonight, we're going to look at, I think it's verse, verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. And of course, the sword of the Spirit will be for next Wednesday night which is the Word of God. But let's, let's talk about the helmet of salvation, the helmet that those that are saved wear. The helmet of salvation could be said is the knowledge of your position in Christ because of your salvation and your redemption that you have in Christ Jesus. It is very uh, important to get a grip on the in Him and the in Christ redemptive realities. Where there is no vision or where there is no redemptive revelation of the reality of your redemption, the people perish. You know, you can think about scriptures about in Him and in whom, in Christ, in Him we have redemption, right? In Him we have obtained an inheritance. We are uh, new creations in Christ Jesus. We're the righteousness of God in Him. Amen? And uh, so the more that you meditate on what Christ has done for you and how He sees you and values you and how that you are one with Him and He is one with you, that you are now in Christ Jesus, man, I'll tell you what, you become ready 
for warfare in your Christian life. The helmet of salvation is directly related to the prayers of Paul for the church at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 22. Let me quote it to you. He says this, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Everyone say in the knowledge of him. That's the epinosis. That's the exact intimate knowledge of him. By having the eyes of your heart flooded with light that you may know what is the hope of your calling. And of course, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance that you have in Christ? And then what is the exceeding greatness of his power, which is yours when you believe, when you latch into it, when you hook into that power, that power is operative in your life. It's resurrection power. And it's the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead and lifted him up far above every devil. And he put him under our feet. If you've got a message for the devil, put, him on the, put it on the bottom of your foot. You guys and me, we are world overcomers and we are to tread and we are to walk on top of serpents and scorpions. Amen? Under my feet. Amen. So it's important to gain the knowledge of the word, but not head knowledge. We're talking about having heart knowledge. Oh, when the word of God drops into your heart, man, it is an amazing, wonderful day. So the helmet of salvation includes having your mind renewed to know and understand your rights and privileges in Christ Jesus, who you are in Christ, the helmet of salvation protects your mind. And your mind is Satan's chief battleground. And so he says, take the helmet of salvation. Rick Renner wrote a tremendous book called Dress to Kill on the whole armor of God. And let me read to you how he describes this helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation was a fascinating piece of armor, Rick says, flamboyant piece of weaponry, very ornate and intricate. The helmet of the Roman soldier looked more like a piece of artwork than a helmet. His helmet was beautiful rather than a simple piece of metal that had been formed to fit the head of a soldier. The helmet of Roman soldiers was highly decorated with all kinds of engravings and etchings. Furthermore, as if these fabulous engravings and etchings were not enough, a huge plume of brightly colored feathers or brightly colored horsehair stood straight up out of the top of the helmet. If the helmet was one to be used in a public ceremony or parade, this brightly covered plume could be very long, long enough to hang all the way down the back of the soldier. The helmet was made of bronze, and it was equipped with pieces of armor that were specifically designed to protect the cheeks and the jaws. It was extremely heavy. And therefore, the interior of the helmet was lined with a sponge in order to soften the weight of the helmet upon the head of the soldier. Rick says that this piece of armor was so strong, so massive, so heavy, that nothing could pierce it. Not even a hammer or a battle axe. And so this piece of armor that fits tightly around the head. Why? Because the enemy would come after the head. You know, they, they, they didn't play back there. They were headhunters. They were 
out to annihilate. They were out to steal, to kill, and to destroy, kind of like our enemy. So the Roman helmet was, was not merely a beautiful piece of weaponry. It was something intended to save a man's head. Enemies after your head. If he had his way, he'd drive every one of us nuts. And so he begins with the assaults, the onslaughts. And that's exactly what salvation will do for us. When we clothe ourselves in the armor of God and get our minds renewed with the word of God and we put on the helmet of the saved and the helmet of salvation, Satan cannot penetrate our soul. Glory to God. How does the enemy attack? What is he coming after? He's coming after the mind. Now the fact that Paul likens salvation to a helmet means we must know our salvation and all that our salvation includes. Now I specifically looked up with some study tools that I have on my computer at home and I looked up the word salvation. Dr. Schofield was a, a Baptist theologian and he defines salvation uh, from the scripture in Romans 1.16. And let me quote that to you. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto, what? Salvation. Unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek also. Amen. So he says, the gospel, which is good news, is the power of God unto Salvation. Now listen to his definition. I love it. This is a Baptist. The Hebrew and the Greek word safety for salvation means safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. He said, salvation is that great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes such as justification, Redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation includes all these wonderful things. The helmet of safety. The helmet of health and healing. The helmet of preservation. The helmet of total well-being. Not only the helmet that ensures our home in heaven but the helmet that ensures our victory here on earth. Amen. You're not going to, we need to wear a helmet in heaven. You need your helmet on now. Some of the meanest and some of the cruelest injuries in the NFL today are head injuries. They're concussions. Satan comes after our thought life. So what do we do? We spend time studying the word. We, we, we become developed in God's system of truth. We've come aware of the Pauline revelation of what we have and who we are in Christ. Jesus said this. He said, if you continue in my word, here's what will happen to you. You'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Amen? And so when our minds are convinced of our redemptive realities and when our minds are trained and taught to think correctly in terms of our salvation, that knowledge becomes a helmet in your life. Becomes a helmet in your life.
Now, I want to talk tonight, and this is really the crux of the message. This is, this is some teaching that I think that uh, is important for us to grab hold of. I want to talk to you about what is a stronghold. What is a stronghold? We all deal with them. Okay? What is a stronghold? Well, originally the word stronghold was used to describe a fortress. And later on in the New Testament, it was also used or depicted as a prison. So when you say uh, the word stronghold for pulling down of strongholds, we could say that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of fortresses. And also for the pulling down of prison houses. Now think about this just with me for a moment. I'm not going to preach real long tonight. We all got tables to move. But I'm going to give you a good little word here. Think about it. Fortresses and prison. Those are, those are strongholds. Both of these are correct. And they convey two powerful messages to us about strongholds. It tells us some important things about strongholds. First of all, let's, let's think about the word fortress. A fortress. You see, a fortress keeps outsiders from getting in, doesn't it? You've seen old movies and you've seen old shows from yesteryear and yester decade or yester century. And you see these big fortresses. And these weren't little thin walls. These were big, heavy, duty, thick walls designed to keep intruders from coming in to their city. So a fortress would keep outsiders from getting in, whereas a prison keeps insiders from getting out. Okay? Let's talk about fortress then. In the first place, this means that when a person has a stronghold in their life, they have walls around them that are so thick that others who could help them cannot seem to break through the barrier to get through to them. There are Christians that isolate themselves. There are Christians that are lone rangers. There are Christians that will not let anybody into their life because they're so bound by the stronghold of fear. These invisible walls keep outsiders from getting in. Like invisible walls, strongholds are rooted in the mind to keep people from getting too close to us. This is a thick wall that keeps people isolated and far removed from people that could really help them. From people that could really speak into their lives. Oh, they may, they may come to church and, and they may love the Word and they may feast on the Word of God, but to get involved in any area of the church? Oh, no, I couldn't do that. That's a fortress. That's a stronghold. And friends, this is a trick of the devil 
to keep people isolated and far removed from those who could help bringing freedom in there. Let me give you an example of it. Unrealistic fear of rejection. That, that's a real fear. Did you know that? The fear of not being accepted. The fear of being rejected keeps people from developing relationships in their lives. Because, you know, if you, you get to know me, you might not like me. If you get too close to me, you might find out what a real loser I am. That's a person who doesn't have their helmet on. That's a person who has been deceived by lies straight into the city of their soul, telling them for years and years that they're a loser, that they'll never amount to much. Your father rejected you. Your mother rejected you. You are simply a loser and a reject. It's a stronghold. Another example would be unrealistic fears about potential failure. What will that do? That will keep you from stepping out to do something worthwhile with your life. Well, I'm afraid to step out. So I've built this little fortress around me where, where nobody can get in. Maybe one or two, but nobody can really get in and impact my life. And no, I couldn't get out and try something new. I'm bound. That's a stronghold. Now, those same walls that keep other people from getting in also keep a person from breaking out. And becoming all that God meant for them to be. Think about it. Like the steel bars of a prison, that mental stronghold has so falsely deceived people that they will fail, that they can't do anything with their lives, that they'll never break out. My brothers and sisters, Jesus broke the prison doors for us. He broke and tore the bars asunder. He liberated people from the curse of the law. He delivered them from the fear of failure and delivered them from a losing failure mentality. He set the captives free. The prison doors are open. What are Christians doing inside of them? So individuals who build these kind of strongholds in their lives, really from the enemy, their lives have been taken captive. And that's all the enemy needs. He only needs an inch. If you give him an inch, how much will he take? That's why he said over there in Ephesians 4.27, I must be doing some good preaching because I'm getting warm. In Ephesians 4.27, he says, Don't you neither give any place to the devil. And the main area that he gets a place in our lives is right up here. The biggest stronghold you will ever face in your life 
are right between your ears. If Satan can deceive you, he can defeat you. But if he cannot deceive you, he cannot defeat you. And the word of God and the helmet of salvation on the head of a believer's life will keep them from being deceived. I'm not buying into that lie. You just can't do it. You just can't make it. Well, pardon me, devil. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, but you're, you're weak and you're, you're, just, you're just this lowly person. No, pardon me. I resist you. Greater is he that's in me. Come on, somebody. Than he that is in the world. And so if he can get an inch, he will take a mile. So it's my responsibility and your responsibility to not give him any place. Now, I don't know if either of these fortress or prison describes maybe a small area in your life or a large area in your life or no area in your life. But I'll tell you one thing. If there is even a little bit of it in your life, it must be dealt with and it must be bound and it must be broken and it must be commanded to leave your life. Identifying these strongholds by the Holy Spirit then will help you rise up in His name and take your dominion. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of what? For the weapons of our warfare, we're in what? We're in a warfare, right? Aren't you thankful they're not carnal? You know, thank God they're not carnal. They don't originate in the flesh. Amen? Thank God for certain programs and certain things that can help you to a degree. But ultimately, it is the weapon of the Word of God. It is the weapon of the name of Jesus. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the name above every name that will get you free and keep you free. It's the truth. And the truth will make you free. So these weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty, now notice, through God. To the pulling down of fortresses. To the pulling down of prison walls. It's my job and it's your job in the next verse to cast down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I heard this years ago. I can't improve on it, so I'll say it. Like Dr. Fred Price says it. He said, the mind is the arena of faith. So never fight an enemy in the arena of sight or feelings or circumstances. Make him come into the arena of the redeemed. I've never said that before. Make him come into the arena of faith, which is the arena of the redeemed, where the redeemed are clothed in the whole armor of God where their loins are girt about with truth, where the breastplate of right standing with God is in place and their feet are firmly footed in the gospel of salvation and they got the shield of faith and the helmet on. Come on over here. Come on over here. You, you, you want to talk? Are you talking to me? 
You brought it up. It was your insinuation. It was your imagination. It ain't mine. Come on over here. Just get yourself roped from the Word of God and whoop, pull Him in and hold Him captive to the Word of God. This works, saints. And so never fight an enemy in the area of sadder feelings or circumstances. Make him come to the arena of faith where God's Word has final authority over all of your feelings, over all of your circumstances. He cannot whip you in the arena of the redeemed. He cannot whip you in the arena of faith. Isn't that awesome? That's why we're instructed to walk by it, live by it, and talk by it. So Satan launches his attacks, nothing new, against our minds. And so we must cast down those reasonings that go against God's Word. And here's how we do it. We choose to stop our thoughts by bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts of lust, thoughts of anger. Anybody ever been angry before? Thoughts of fear, thoughts of greed, bitter thoughts, evil thoughts. They're part of every thought that may be brought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. Say it with me. I pull down strongholds regularly by speaking God's word. Say it again. I'm pulling down strongholds. Regularly, by speaking faith-filled words. Glory to God. So thoughts that contradict the Word of God, if meditated on long enough, will produce an imagination which will produce a stronghold. But you and I can cast down every wicked imagination by speaking the Word. Now look quickly over to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. We're in school tonight, right? I'm just giving you further training, further thoughts, further encouragement. That tomorrow, you put this into practice and your day will go much better. Isaiah 55, verses 7 through 9. Look at this now. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Okay? And let him return unto the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God. For what kind of a God do we serve? We serve a good God. And we serve a God who will not little pardon. He will abundantly pardon. Now notice verse 8. Read it with me if you would. He said now. My thoughts Let's read that one more time. You know what that's saying? You're not God. That's saying that God is God. And his thoughts <laughs> are higher than our thoughts. His ways are certainly higher and His ways are certainly better uh, than our ways. Verse 9, read that with me. He said now, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Well, yeah, that's true. But he didn't say that his thoughts were not available to us. So what we do then is we take hold of his thoughts. We think the thoughts of God. We meditate on the thoughts of God. And all of a sudden, our thoughts become one with his thoughts. Our ways become one with his ways. We then start flowing and operating in the mind of the anointed one. And we have his anointing every day of our life. And the hand of God is upon our lives as we think the thoughts of God. John Osteen used to say it like this. He says, one thought from God can change your life forever. One thought from the devil could kill you. But one thought from God can heal you. One thought from the devil could keep you in debt for the rest of your life. But one thought from God, God's thoughts in the heart coming out of your mouth can get you out of debt and bring you into your wealthy place. One word from heaven, Brother Copeland used to say, can change your life forever. Woo! Glory to God. And the good news is this, is we don't just have one thought. We've got an abundance of His thoughts. Oh, hallelujah. So God says, my ways are the highest ways. Would you walk in my ways? Will you discover my thoughts from my word? How many of you know that God has got a thousand ways to straighten your finances out? He's got a thousand ways to straighten your marriage out. He's got a thousand ways to get you out of debt. So what we do then is we we position ourselves and we place ourselves in His Word. Not outside of His ways, but in His ways. So God knows this. God knows for sure that you can't get His Word without first exchanging your thought, His ways, without exchanging your thoughts with those that align with His Word. Now, It's real easy to get influenced. Did you know that? I used to live my life under the influence. (laughs) Under the influence of the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That's the way I lived. I wasn't a Christian, so I lived like a non-Christian. Right? I had no idea that God was so good. I thought God was going to bash you for all the nasty things you did. But so my life and many of your lives were were under the influence before we're born again. But now that we're born again, did you know that you can still be influenced by the world? Many Christians allow their thinking to be influenced by unsaved friends. By talk shows. By television. And movies. That really don't line up with the Word of God. Did you know that, I mean, by and large, most of the media is under the influence of a wrong spirit? Now, I don't want to get weird on you tonight. I'm not going to tell you don't watch cartoons and don't watch football and puppets are of the devil. And, you know, I'm not going to say that. 
But I believe God's put a monitor on the inside of every one of us. And that's the Holy Ghost. I mean, you can sit down and start watching something and you immediately know it ain't right. Even though there's, there's some humor in it, and even though there's some funny things about it, it's always tainted with darkness. It's always tainted with, you know, some sort of an adulterous situation. Or it's tainted with violence or whatever the case may be. See, you've got to then protect your heart. Protect your spirit. I've heard people say, well, you know, it doesn't bother me to watch this and to watch that. They think that it doesn't bother them, but really it's robbing them just by the thought that it's not bothering them. Because in actuality, that's a major deception. You know, I've heard things on television. I've heard things on movies and different things like that. And man, then I heard them in the night. I don't want to hear profanity, do you? So if I'm not going to position myself under that, then I'll remain free just like you. Amen? And so Satan's words produce thoughts that produce his ways, but God's word produces thoughts that produce his ways. I want to say to you tonight that the devil is defeated and he is a liar. Are you listening to me? We started by talking about strongholds. We're going to end by talking about some lies that are very common that try to ensnare our lives. Lies that try to bring strongholds into our lives. You know, one thing about lies, you've got to locate the lie. And then don't repeat the lie. Don't own it. And then remove the lie with the weapon of your warfare. And then replace the lie with the truth. Here's some common lies. You've sinned and you're a failure. You've got to know what the truth is. What is the truth? The truth is this. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. God loves me. I'm not a failure. Here's another Typical lie, you're single and you're so lonely. What's the truth? The truth is, he'll never leave me to forsake me. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Here's another one. You're a misfit, you're ugly, and beside that, you're a loser. Locate the lie, replace the lie with the truth. What's the truth? I'm accepted and the beloved. I'm, say it with me, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loves me. Here's another lie. You're too old to serve the Lord. Why don't you just crawl up and die? Your fruitful days. Are, what's the truth? The truth is this. Psalms 92. I will continuously bear fruit even though I'm a little older. Amen? Here's another lie. You will die young just like, just like, just like Uncle so-and-so, just like Uncle Ken, just like Aunt Sue. What's the truth? The truth is Psalms 90. 
you guys are so sharp, I can't even preach. You, you got the answer already. I'm going home. Psalm 91, 14, with long life. Will I satisfy him? See, for every lie, on the other end of Satan's lie is God's truth. Well, here's another one. You just can't make it. You just can't make it without. Well, the truth is, is he is the way maker. And my future is bright because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Here's another one. You've got to have this. You've got to have that to be happy. The truth is this. I've learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Here's another one. Your children will never be saved. They'll never make it. Don't believe it. The truth is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved and your whole household. So here's the deal. Just get full of the truth. And when you become so full of the truth, you won't even have to. It'll just be automatic. That sword will come out. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's all stand up. Thank you, Father.